if you're, a, again, a new person to Safe Haven, I want to catch you up really fast on Hebrews 1 through 13. And, and if you're a regular, just remind us of the journey that we've been through. It'll be on the screen above. Um, chapters 1 through 10 um, ha, ha, were, have all been about what does it look like to know. And so there's this upward knowing. That's, that's the entire first 10 chapters of the book of Hebrews has been, what does upward knowing look like? Who is Christ? What is vertical doctrine, if you will? Um, and then, as we moved into chapter 11 and chapter 12, he shifted to, or she shifted, whoever wrote the book of Hebrews, shifted to upward worship. So out of upward knowing, how does that respond in upward worship or vertical striving? And you remember the vertical striving of running the weight, a race, lifting your hands, strengthening your knees. This, this imagery of have one foot on Mount Sinai and one foot on Mount Moriah. And, and remember, God is a God of justified wrath, but he's also a God of relentless grace. And how this will propel us forward and worship to him. And so then chapter 13, which is the conclusionary chapter, is this. It's going to be how does upward knowing and upward worship always respond in outward living or horizontal love. Love for our brothers, love for our sisters, and actually inward love uh, for who Christ has made us to be. How's that going to flesh itself out? That's how the book is uh, in picture format. Maybe you're like me. I need pictures. I need a good storybook. Um, And maybe this will help you. Um, So outward living, this how a mind who handles God rightly will always result in hands and feet who handle the world rightly. How does this impact us? It's where it's going to lead us to. Um, it's kind of like, you know, if, 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 if you were stuck at the gas station produce section, I guess is how it's going to kind of flesh itself out. You're like, Troy, what are you talking about? You know what I'm talking about. You've, you've, you've gone and gotten gas before and walked up to the counter and there's a couple of bananas and a mushy apple. And if that's all you've ever known of the produce in the world, you'd think, well, that's where you get produce. But imagine the public's manager walks in and says, no, (laughs) just a mile down the road, there's so much more. There's an orchard of produce that can be had. And you go, no, 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 this is real produce. And he's screaming, no, there's so much more. That's what Hebrews has been screaming to us. Don't get stuck on just ritualism. There's so much more to be had. There's an orchard of Christ's blessings to come. Is where Hebrews has been taking us. So, in the next three weeks, we're going to look at that. What does outward living look like? What does the orchard of blessing look like that the Christian has? And it's a lot. The next screen will show you. Um, It'll take us three weeks to get through all these blessings. Because remember, they're thinking, we're going to lose everything we know to be true if we go to Christianity. We're going to lose our family. We're going to lose our friends. We're going to lose the temple. We're going to lose acceptance. We're going to lose it all. And he's saying, no, there's an orchard of blessings for following Christ. And so that's where we're going to be. Come, bring your Bible, bring your friends um, as we study through these conclusionary things. Let me pray, and then we'll dive into the text. Let's go ahead and read the text aloud together, and then, and then we'll dive into it. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, 
as though in prison with them. And those who are mistreated, so, since you also are in the body. Let's pray together. So Jesus, as, as we feel, I don't know, maybe the, the roller coaster ride hitting that last hill and we can see the, the stopping point. God, I pray we don't lose our fervor for this book, this, this inspired word that you've given us. I, I pray that we, we head on in anticipatory, uh, but also excited about what awaits us in these last few verses of this book. What a great grace the book of Hebrews has been to our church. As we've considered all those things, right doctrine and right striving upwardly, and now as we consider outward love, how to handle our hands and feet based upon what our minds have learned throughout this whole book. So, yeah, I pray, Lord, that you show us that we are blessed beyond measure, that we don't lose anything by following Christ, and that we gain more than we ever dreamed or imagined that we could have through your blessings. It's in your precious name I pray. Amen. Amen. We'll be seated. So these blessings are going to unfurl before us, and we're just going to hit three of them today, and then we'll pick three of them up next week, and then there'll be a couple more the next week, and then the final uh, benediction that he lays before us in chapter 13. And he begins this one by saying, listen, the first blessing that you, you, you can't forget that you have as a believer, and I, I want to reiterate that because I want to make sure everybody understands the context again of what's going on. These early church people are hearing, if you leave Judaism, and if you leave the Jewish faith and go to Christianity, you are going to lose everything. You're, you're, gonna, you're not going to gain a thing. You're, everything that you know to be joyful and fun and encouraging, you're going to lose all of it. You will have nothing if you go to Christianity. So, come back to Judaism. This is where it's all at. And so that's what's been in their ears. And so the writer, again, is saying that's not true. That's not true. You will emphatically gain more than you've ever dreamed or imagined. There'll be more blessings. And these are the blessings that we're going to kind of unpack as he gives his final send-off in the book of Hebrews. The first one is this. He says, listen, if you do follow Christ, you will have the blessing of brotherly love. Don't forget that. That'll sustain you. That's, that's part of the orchard of blessing that's coming. And he says it that way. Let brotherly love continue. Don't let that wane. Don't let that fall off. As a matter of fact, the more that you press into Christ, the more you should press into one another. That is... The, you want to make it real tangible? Look at your brother or sister in Christ to your right. Like, I know, it's awkward. Look at them. Just, like, you're like, I don't know who they are. <laughs> Look at them anyway. Steer right into their ear hole. You know, look to the left. This is your blessing. When you sat down just a minute ago amongst brothers and sisters, did you consider, hey, I'm amongst a blessing? Like, did you even consider that? Or did you bebop in going, it's time for church? Boom. Or did you walk in going, man, I, I get to be among family today. I, I honestly, I don't know how unbelievers get through life. I, I don't. They have false sense of community. And, and you, you hear a lot of people, you know, talk about, well, there's more community in the bar than there is the church. I emphatically say that's bull. That's bull. There's connectivity. 
Sure. But there's nothing that presses upward and forward to Christ. That's true family. Those who push one another to Christ. That's the true sense of gospel. That's real community. Any other sense of community is a false community. Any other community that's rooted on any other encouragement other than Christ, it's false community. It's temporary. It's fleeting. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. But this is a blessing. And when I say blessing like that, now I'm thinking about Chevy Chase. <laughs> yes, the blessing. All right, I'm sorry. I took all your mind straight away from the text. Let's rewind it, get it back in. Let's pull back, okay. But we, are, we do have a blessing in Christ, and it's each other. The greatest blessing of the church is not the teacher's. The greatest blessing of the church is not the musicians. The greatest blessing of the church is the person who reaches out to their brother or sister and loves them well. That's the greatest blessing of the church. It's a gift, man. Never forget it. You'll have this. He's screaming. And so everybody knows what war does. War either does one of two things. It turns people against one another or it unites them together. And these early church people, they're literally facing a war. They're facing a striving, and they're torn between do we unite together or do we rip apart from one another and go our separate ways? And he says, press in, let brotherly love continue. And why? Because you've got that exclusive hope together. You've got that exclusive peace together. You've got that exclusive uniting in the gospel together. Remember that, experience that, and join together. And the writer of Hebrews is saying quite a bit in those four words, let brotherly love continue. And I'd summarize it as this. He's saying, yes... If you follow Christ, the world is going to hate you. No doubt about that. But number two, yes, you'll be surrounded by brotherly love, which is the greatest undergirding that Christ has given the world. It's a support group. A support group of one another ring. Paul summarizes this in 1 Corinthians 12. It'll be on the screen. I think it is on the screen. By saying this. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And that's the beauty of church family. It's celebrating births together. It's mourning deaths together. It's celebrating weddings together. It's celebrating jobs together. It's celebrating moves together. It's celebrating ballparks together. You know the proudest I've ever been of our church? That sets me up for a big failure. I better knock this one out of the park. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm proud of our church. But, but the one, the, one of the greatest moments of our church's history and many of you guys went to it, was when our little softball girls, y'all remember this? When our little softball girls just demolished everybody. I was super proud of them for that. But they're heading to the championship, which they lost, but that's okay. That's okay. They head into the championship. Beth, you remember this? Yeah. And about 100 or 200 people from the church showed up to cheer on these girls' softball. It was the coolest moment ever. I was like, this is awesome. And the concession stand probably made more money than they've ever made before. But it was just a cool moment. We celebrate together. We rejoice together. That's the beauty. That's the blessing of the Christian church. Don't abandon it, he says. See the blessing. Unlike religiosity, church is not just church. Church is life. It's life and it's life together. Strengthen one another through this unique blessing. 
And then number two, he says, not only you have the blessing of brotherly love, don't bail on Christ because there is that blessing. Don't lose that blessing. But then number two, there's the blessing of hospitality. He says it this way, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Now, this is good. This is fun. Okay. One, I want to say this about hospitality. Hospitality is the spiritual gift that every single person in this room has in some measure. Okay. It's also a shameless plug to say Miss Barb is preparing for us a spiritual gifts class. Uh, that will be announced here soon. And, and she's going to lead that. And it's going to be awesome. Everybody needs to be involved in that. If you've never taken a spiritual gifts inventory, what is your spiritual gifts? But I'll go ahead and say this. Hospitality is the one that everybody has, at least in some measure. Everybody has this gift, can do something hospitable. Now, you may not have it to the level of somebody with, the, I guess, the true gift of hospitality would have. You know those people who just make everything right? You come in, you feel comfortable, you feel welcome. They, just, they know how to do that well. But everybody can do this in some measure. So I'd like to say that about hospitality. But number two, I think according to this verse, we can look at it and say, hospitality may be your best ticket to seeing an angel in person. Not know. Now look, I didn't make that up. This is the scripture, and it's God's divine word. So we'll just look at it as it is. And that seems like an odd teaching in our culture. Okay, And the reason it seems like an odd culture is because our minds as Christians are post-crossed. Or our minds are um, fixated in understanding everything in relationship to the cross. So if I was to say to you, hey brothers and sisters... Um, Take your burdens to the foot of the cross. Raise your hand if you would go, I think I understand what he's, what he's getting at there. Raise your hand. Raise it high. Yeah. Right, because your minds are tuned to that. Like That's been the teaching that you've always understood. If they heard, take your burdens to the foot of the cross, what do you think they would think? They would go, we don't have a clue what you're talking about. That makes no sense to us. All right? So this phrase... Don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby have entertained angels unaware. That, makes, that doesn't make a lot of sense to us, but it makes tremendous sense to them. Reason being, their minds are infatuated not with the cross, but Abraham. They've heard Abraham their whole life. They know the stories of Abraham forwards and backwards like the back of their hand. They know it. They know everything about Abraham. And their first thought when they heard this was, don't neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. They instantly would have thought of Genesis 18. Y'all remember this because we just studied it last year. Abram sitting there with his wife, barren. He's up under the oaks of Mamre, taking a rest in the shade. And three people show up. Y'all remember this? And they show up and they say, hey, this time next year, your wife, Sarah, will have a child. And then we got the whole thing where she's laughing and blah, blah, blah. And the angels expose themselves and say, hey, why is she laughing? And then they're revealed to be angels. And then immediately after that, the point is this. He's saying, Abraham's hospitality in this moment. Abraham met the people, didn't know who they were, brought them in serve them. And in that moment, God used Abraham's hospitality to be a blessing. And in that moment, he literally entertained angels unaware. So the point surely is not 
be hospitable so that you might entertain angels. But the point absolutely is, like Abraham, you better prize gospel hospitality in the same way that God prizes hospitality. He uses it. He values it. There's meaning for it. With Hospitality is an exclusive Christian grace in its truest extent. You can be hospitable to get somebody to buy your Tupperware. Do they still do Tupperware parties these days? No, it's just smelly oils and, you know, yeah, yeah, better not say what else. Okay, there's other parties. Um, Anyway, you can be hospitable for earthly gain or in the truest sense of hospitality, you can use that hospitality to point to the glory of Christ. He says, this is a gift. God values this. He valued it with Abraham. And you say, Troy, that just seems like coincidence. Oh, no, no, no. Read the rest of the chapter. The rest of the chapter is Abraham was hospitable and the, God used that in, in, in their lives through the angels. The end of the chapter is the angels look at Sodom and Gomorrah and say, hey, we're going to go there. And Abraham goes, no, you don't want to go there. And they go, and it is anything but hospitable. And how does God respond to the inhospitableness of Sodom and Gomorrah? What does he do? Wipes it off the face of the earth. It's there, man. It's a gift. Hospitality is something that we should cherish. It is an exclusive blessing that we can utilize in our lives. The, again, the point is not that you can see an angel. But no doubt, if you're a person who's constantly churning out kind words or maybe kind gifts, it's not inconceivable that your kind word or your kind gift at some point has fallen on a celestial. It's kind of wild, isn't it? That's true. It's true. But that's not our goal. Our goal is to see that hospitality is a Christian blessing that we can utilize to point others to Christ and that the Father has given us to utilize to bring Him glory. And it pleases Him. It's a unique gift. I would say this as we continue. Hospitality is the greatest blessing or tool of evangelism that you have at your disposal. Obviously, apart from the gospel. Let's be clear. The gospel alone saves people. No doubt about it. That's your greatest tool. But the greatest avenue or resource that you have at your disposal is your kitchen table. Your back porch. Your kindness to somebody else is the greatest tool that you have. It's easy in to love people well. And nothing, um, or it costs you nothing to just be kind. Like it costs us nothing to be kind people. That's the gift of hospitality. The key is this intentionality. And I think hospitality is so important because you, you, you never truly know somebody until you're in the home, or their home specifically, do you? And then you know them full well. And I, and I don't mean that just in a, a trite way. I mean that in a serious way. When you go into somebody else's home, you see their decorations. You see their decor. You, you, every house has its own smell. And I'm fearful of the smell of our house with all the kids that run around in it. So therefore, we put Yankee candles burning left and right. 
So you'll never know the true smell of our home. Uh, but everybody's house has a smell. It's got an atmosphere. And you learn about people through that, don't you? I mean, you go over to Dan Johnson's house and, you, and Audrey's house, and, and when they've been cooking Indian food, you know this family is cultured. Our, our house smells like Red Baron pizza, okay? <laughs> but you're like, they have culture. They do not. You just, you know people. Will, and that's, that's what he's saying. That's a gift. <laughs> I guess what I'm saying is your home and your smell is a gift. It's a gift. Don't miss out on the blessing of your ability to show hospitality to somebody. And God used that for his glory. And they're good. It's a gift. All right. And in this moment, a lot of people, we don't want to show hospitality. I'm running rabbits, but I, need, I feel like I need to run this rabbit. I think a lot of times we don't show hospitality because we're afraid. We're afraid of our smell. We're afraid of our atmosphere. We're afraid. We don't want to be transparent. We don't want to let people in. I would rather just meet you at Chick-fil-A because I love their atmosphere and their smell rather than just let people in. I don't know a better way to show the gospel to somebody than to say, hey, welcome into my house. (laughs) It is a mess. A lot like my life. But my hope is not in my mess. My hope is in that Christ redeems my mess. He makes much of my mess. He takes my mess and makes it glorious. So come in, and you're going to get us warts, scars, yuck muck, and all. Yeah, there's a cat. There's a cat. All right? We'll stick it in the back if you're allergic to it. You know, whatever. But welcome in. This is our nasty house. Um, but let us tell you about our glorious Jesus. Transparency is what hospitality is all about. Anyway, all right, so I, I think that's the essence of the gospel is that we can come to Christ, scars, flaws, and all. We can say, here's my sin. Here's where I don't measure up. Here's where my life does not look like your kingdom. But Christ lived it. He, he did measure up. His house is perfect. His life, he has no, he has no uh, self-inflicted sinful scars. He has none of that. He, he lived it. And he said <laughs> that if I trust in him, that if I place my faith in him, that if, if I confess my sin and repent of my sin and, and trust in his finished work, then he would apply the beauty of his righteous mansion into my house. <laughs> and for those who've trusted in Christ, that's what happens is he gives you all of his beauty for all of your mess. That's the hope of the gospel, best displayed in transparent hospitality. Anyway, so that's one and two. We'll do number three. Christians, you got the blessing of brotherly love. Christians, you got the blessing of hospitality. You're not losing anything. You're gaining things in more measure than you ever dreamed of. And then number three, we'll wrap it up today, is the blessing of encouragement or support uh, the Christian community of the persecuted. Number three, and because of your upward knowing and your upward worship, your outward living will remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body.
Now, there's a difference in understanding this prison context and our prison context. I am all for prison ministries, okay? Gung-ho. Chuck Colson, the prison minister, all that kind of, I am for it, right? But he's not advocating a prison ministry here per se, as we understand prisonness. Um, prisons in our day are rightly named penitentiaries. You guys know this word. Have you ever thought about the root of penitentiary? It means to be penitent. And so during the Enlightenment, prisons kind of took a whole morph, a whole change. Prisons were places uh, for people who came and had committed a crime, and then after committing the crime, they were placed in the penitentiary. I'm I'm saying that right, penitentiary. Come up to me afterwards if I'm botching it up, all right? Into that place, into the prison system, so that they could become penitent. And the whole goal was, maybe if we keep them there long enough, their hearts will change and they'll become penitent. Now, I don't want to get into discussions about prison and all that kind of stuff, but that's what it looked like in, in our day. What it looked like in their day had nothing to do with that. What it looked like in their day was a prison, meaning you went here and you were held awaiting your trial. Now, after your trial, you weren't put into a prison holding system to become penitent. In that day, you were set free freely, or most likely, what? Just killed. Done away with. Or given something that you needed to do to go and and fulfill this, pay this, get restitution for this, do these things, you go out. But you didn't go back into that system. So it was this holding place, if you will. And that's what he's saying. All of these people who have been accused of standing for their faith and standing for their faith being a rebellion against the Jewish system, therefore inciting a riot, which is what Jesus was accused of, being one who incites a riot, we're going to take you to this holding place to see if you really did this or not. And then after that, we're going to lay your uh, conviction and you're either going to get killed or they're going to be set free. That's what was going on. He says, don't forget those people. That's a unique blessing is a brother or sister who will stand with you in the midst of that kind of persecution. Everybody else is bailing on you. But Christians, that's the unique blessing we have to stand with one another, even if they're saying, I'm going to cut Andy's head off if he stands for Christ. And the Christian's exclusive blessing is that I walk over and I hold Andy's hand and I say, by gosh, let them cut both our heads off. Let's do it together. That's a blessing. He says this is an exclusive blessing of the Christian's life. Be that. Be that encouragement. Be that support for those who are in prison. In other words, bullet down to its simplest form. Hey, Christians. Let the world see how crazy you love each other. Let it be a radical, crazy love with which you have for one another. That's the blessing of Christianity. Lucian. It's going to be on the screen. But before you read it, or read it, or read it aloud, Lucian was a pagan. Lucian had nothing to do with Christianity. As a matter of fact, he mocked Christians. He set his whole life's work to mock Christians. He was that type pagan. He wrote stuff. He was super sarcastic, all this kind of stuff. But here's what he said about Christians and their faith and how it produced this type of radical love. 
These Christians left nothing undone in the effort to rescue imprisoned brothers. Then, as this was impossible to rescue them, every other form of attention was shown to them. Not in any casual way, but with assiduity. I had to look that up. It means close attention. And from the very break of day, aged widows and orphaned children could be seen waiting near the prison, while their officials even slept inside with him after bribing the guards. The elaborate meals were brought in, and sacred books of theirs were read aloud. What a beautiful picture of Christianity in its earliest days, in its purest form. That is the blessing of Christianity, that your brother and sister to your right or your left would be there with you in the middle of that. In the middle of that. I can assure you, if you're put in prison for standing for Christ, and your unbelieving co-worker has the option of leaving you for dead, or standing with you in your faith in Christ, they're leaving you for dead. But believers, united in heart, united in purpose, we have empathy with one another, even to that extent, imprisonment. It's a beautiful, radical, again, crazy love. Empathy is just one of those things that makes the church shine in its purest form. And we need to be openly honest and say a lot of times Christians are some of the most unempathetic people that can be. When somebody's agenda doesn't fit our agenda, we're like, oh, I don't know if I want to be empathetic with them. But in our purest form, man, when we are empathetic with others, we shine like Jesus like never before. And some of the ways that the church, our church, and the church at large has done that certainly has been over the years financially standing with other people. I, I thought of our church and I thought about the shepherds and all that they've gone through. I thought about the Bartons <laughs> when their house got flooded and had to be rebuilt. I thought about Jan and Victor Crosby and all that they went through. Uh, I think about, about the LaFoy's and how you guys are uniting together and supporting financially. It's a great gift, man, for the cause of Christ. I thought about randomly. As empathy shines, we're... <laughs> People have been delivering cupcakes to one another. Um, thought about the Jaeger's casseroles. Thought about people showing up at ball games, supporting one another in different ways in times of need. Service this week. Thought about a guy who is out cutting somebody's lawn in the middle of a neighborhood um, for somebody who has a brain injury and they couldn't cut their grass and He's out there cutting the grass for him. Just random acts of service. I thought about prayer. As I hear about you guys sending one another various texts and prayer groups and community groups and phone calls of, hey, I'm just thinking about you and all that kind of stuff. It's just empathy. It's beautiful. It's a great grace supporting one another. And not only are Christians blessed to have shared enlightenment, upward knowing, but what the writer of Hebrews is saying, we're blessed in a real way to just be humans with one another. Just kind humans with one another. And so I want to say this also bluntly because I know that this always comes up when we talk about things like this. 
hey, if, if, you're in, if, if you're like, hey, yeah, but I don't know anybody like that. Nobody's ever loved me like that. My question to you is this. Are you just in the stands? Like if you're up in the stands and nobody knows who you are and you've taken no effort to get connected or to plug in or all that kind of stuff, don't blame other people around you for the fact that you sit up on the upper row and nobody knows who you are. I say that bluntly, but I also say that of tender care. Get down out of the stands and get in the game. Plug in. Plug in. Let one anothering happen. Step out of your comfort zone. Let other people know you. If you want to experience the joy of Christian community, take the step to plug in to Christian community. That's the only way you'll find it. You got to be honest about that. Okay? We got to be okay with saying that. You may be mad at me right now if you're like, oh, but I don't like that. I like to stay in the cubbyhole. Well, it's your fault you're in the cubbyhole. I am trying my best to drag you out of the cubbyhole and pull you into community. Our home is open. I will give you my phone number right here as soon as the service is over. Me and Julie Beth will take you to dinner. You can come to our house. You say, well, I'm allergic to cats. Well, good. We'll go sit on the back patio for the love of all that is holy. You are welcome in my life. And as I look around the room, well, let's just do it this way. If you're a covenant partner and they can also get your phone number today, raise your hand real high. You ain't got no excuses. Find someone. We're open. We want you to have a place here. So to conclude, with our left foot on Mount Sinai, God is wrathful and justly wrathful. And with our right foot on Mount Zion, he is full of grace and mercy. The knowledge of those two things gaze our eyes forward and say, well, let's go love somebody. With brotherly love, with hospitality, and with support and encouragement in a way that only the church can offer. Let's pray together. Well, Lord, thank you for this text. Thank you for the conviction of how so often sometimes we get so inward and forget that life really isn't about us, that it's about Christ, it's about His glory, it's about showing love to someone else. But also for the motivation and the encouragement that it is. Yeah. Yeah, our lives do not terminate on us. That is so much more that it is about brotherly love. That it really is about hospitality. That it really is about supporting one another. Thank you for the gift of the Christian church. In a world that's so quick to mock the church. (laughs) Oh man. That even though they mock, we'd still build hospitals, still support orphans, still support the needy. We'll still be the greatest giving arm, bar none, in the entire world to social needs. And ultimately, Lord, as Christians, we'll realize we haven't lost anything of heavenly value in following Christ. And we've gained more than we could ever dream or imagine as a part of the gospel community. 